0: So, uh, we are uh, moving our way through the book of James in our third week, and we're in uh, James one verses five to eight today. And of course, today is Mother's Day, um, but I'm not taking a special passage for uh, for the mothers today. But I think that uh, think and pray that this message will be relevant and enjoyable, encouraging to the moms that we have in our our midst today. Last week, we focused on verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This week, even though the subject seems to switch to wisdom, it's still about trials. It's talking about wisdom in the context of trials. James 1, 5 to 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So in verse 4, last week we saw that the goal of being put through trials is to become complete, lacking in nothing. And one of the things that we lack before we get to that place where we're complete, lacking in nothing, is we lack wisdom. And that's why James begins this verse, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, God, let him ask of God. The trials that God sends us right now are partially because we lack wisdom. And so those who are being tried ought to be eager to learn the wisdom that the trial is is designed to impart. And God, as it says here, is only too willing to impart it. So we're to pray. Pray for the wisdom which the trial was designed to address and give us need for and us to cry out for. So we see that James is continuing to talk about trials. Last week he said to accept trials because they're designed to help us grow stronger and more mature. And now this week his point is that in the midst of trials we need to ask the Lord for wisdom. You see, maturity doesn't simply come by endurance, but also by enlightenment, by the impartation of wisdom, something that God gives to those who seek him. Okay, now let's dive a little bit more deeply into each of these verses. Let's begin with verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. When you're suffering, if you ever need wisdom, ask God for it, he says. Now, what is wisdom? What is he talking about? Specifically, when he says wisdom, it doesn't so much much mean guidance as often we take it to mean. Like, you know, oh, no, I'm, I'm struggling in school. I don't know what my major should be. Lord, give me wisdom about what major I should choose. Or, you know... My car is broken. I don't know whether to get it repaired or buy a new car. What should I do, Lord? Or, you know, this person's hurt me. I don't know whether to tell them or just be quiet about it. That's not the kind of wisdom that James has in mind here. The kind of wisdom that you need when you're suffering is to be able to have the Lord's perspective on what you're going through. How should I be thinking about what's happening right now? The fact is a significant amount of our suffering is actually a result of our foolishness. A lot of our pain is the result of the things we tell ourselves about what's happening and not really about what's happening. We interpret what's happening wrongly. We believe lies about it. And that's what gets us so upset. Now don't misinterpret me please. I'm not saying that if we just interpreted everything correctly we wouldn't experience pain. Jesus experienced plenty of pain and grief and yet he interpreted everything perfectly. But let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Let's take a person who is really anxious about dying. So much so that every time he gets a cold or has a headache, he starts thinking, oh no, this may be the beginning of the end. He feels, he's always expecting someone to jump out of the shadows and attack him and kill him. And he thinks about death constantly when he's driving in his car and even if he's walking on the side of the road he's afraid of cars veering off and running into him and even if he's at home sitting on his couch he imagines an asteroid coming crashing down through the house and killing him now we realize that there are a lot of real dangers around But we also realize that there's a danger of fear destroying your ability to live. And if we can't trust God to manage our dangers for us, we'll be so afraid of death that we'll never be truly free to live. A person with unreasonable fears needs the wisdom of the Lord. He needs to to have these fears put into perspective these dangers to be put into perspective of everything else that is true or what about the girl who studies hard for her SAT exam because she wants to go into a certain field or be accepted into a certain school and then she takes the test and gets the results and she didn't do well enough and she's devastated again she needs the wisdom of the lord She doesn't need for God to somehow manipulate her test results. She needs the wisdom of the Lord. Maybe this is actually a good thing. Maybe the Lord knows that that's not the right field for her to go into or the right school for her to attend. And he's arranging things for her. Sometimes the very reason we're suffering, you see, is because we aren't seeing things from the Lord's perspective not seeing things according to his wisdom. A lot of what we experience as pain is actually the result of a lack of wisdom through which we see our circumstances. What we really need is to understand the truth about ourselves, the truth about the world, the truth about the people around us, the truth about right and wrong. The truth about God and his purposes in our lives. That's wisdom. The thing which determines whether we face something with peace and grow from it, or whether we face something with bitterness and are damaged by it, is whether or not we face it with God's wisdom. That's why we need wisdom. The trouble that we are in, whatever it is, was brought to pass by someone who is infinitely wiser than we are. And if that doesn't seem to be true, then that's a perfect proof that we need wisdom. To be happy and to handle difficulties in a healthy way, we need something that we don't have. We need something from outside of us. Happiness doesn't reside in us and we have to find it somewhere. Happiness is in God. And wisdom isn't somewhere inside of us and we have to find it. Wisdom is in God. You know that according to the Bible, a person who thinks himself wise and doesn't seek God's wisdom is actually the a world-class fool if indeed the world is ruled by someone else other than us someone else who knows all things and has all wisdom then this is the way we need to think We need to stop trying to be ourselves, stop trying to structure the world according to our own thoughts and our own dreams, and start trying to learn from the one who knows all things and has all wisdom. What we really need is wisdom, something God only gives. When we have a financial setback, we need the Lord's perspective. We think we need money. But we need the Lord's perspective on our situation. That's what we really need. When we get a cancer diagnosis, we, you know, what we feel like we need is we need to be healed. We need to, for this to get out of us. But really what we need is the mind of Christ about our situation. When we lose a loved one, we need the Lord's wisdom. Wisdom is not actually what we feel we need when we're suffering. We feel like we need relief, escape, deliverance, a change of our circumstances. And that's the way people think. But wise people try to learn how to live in the context of the situation God has placed them in. But so many people expect the world around them to adapt to them. They are the center. They are the important one. They are the masters of their own fate. You see, the world wants us to ask, what do I want? And then follow that. But God wants us to ask, what does God want of me? And follow that. Gaining wisdom is having a change of heart to match our hearts to the reality into which God has assigned us. Wisdom isn't the same as knowledge. Otherwise, James would say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him read a book or take a class. Wisdom is something only God can give. So the thing he tells us to do is pray. Now, I know that some of you are being tried right now. You feel like all you can do is just survive each day. That means that you desperately need perspective. You need insight. You need your eyes opened. You need wisdom. And God is saying all you have to do is ask. and then a special point is made in the second part of this verse that God gives wisdom generously and without finding fault let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him these are beautiful and powerful words in English but even more so in the original Greek. When we ask for wisdom in the midst of our struggle, God gives it willingly, wholeheartedly, eagerly, generously, sincerely. As we say, from the bottom of his heart. We saw last week that counted all joy when you face various trials was a takeoff of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 11, and 12 when he said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Well, in the same way, this verse, verse 5, seems to be an echo of what Jesus said later in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, 7 to 11 of Matthew, Ask And it will be given to you. For everyone who asks receives. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Do you know, do you really know that you have a loving heavenly Father who is eager to help you when you ask? Especially to give you wisdom in the face of baffling realities. There is no reluctance or hesitation in his generous heart. It is a delight to him to give to us. And as a father, I can tell you that you know, when you really love your child, there are times where there's nothing that makes you happier than to give something to them that they need it, it is not it doesn't take anything away from you it adds something to you to give to them and all of you parents know what I'm talking about it, not that that's always the experience but that can certainly be the experience and that's the way it is with the Lord when we ask for wisdom the impression is the impression you get is that it's almost painful for God to not give to us. It's hard for him to wait for us to ask. He's so eager to give. And then James adds, without reproach. That is, he gives to all generously and without reproach. Or without finding fault. The great king on the throne of the universe gives generously to all without reproach. Now, there is a person who gives little and finds fault much. All of us have met that person. And I think many of us as parents know what it's like to give to our children with a little correction thrown in. Like, you know, snuck into the present that we give to them. As if our generosity is mixed with a little unhappiness, with a little maybe even disgust. Like, here's another one since you threw that one on the floor. God is not someone who looks at you in love with one eye and with correction in the other eye. And if anyone has a legitimate reason to find fault with us, it's God. But love doesn't focus on the wrongdoings. As it says in Psalm 103 the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins or rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Embarrassingly, I can't tell you how many times when I'm dealing with my children, and even at times with the congregation, I have failed to exemplify this kind of patient generosity. Just recently, for instance, one of my kids was sharing a lesson they had recently learned. And it was everything I could do to not remind them of all the times when they were in the situation. I had told them that very thing. But now it's like, oh, I learned this lesson. (laughs) And that's often the way we love, but that's not the way God loves. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. And this is something to be thankful for and something to delight in. We are much loved by the Lord. Fault finding, you see, can ruin generosity. But God's generosity is not accompanied by fault finding. It is pure, sincere, and eager. And if that's not your impression of God... Maybe your impression needs to be corrected. Then he shifts gears a little bit in verse 6 and 7. But, he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will, that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, the first thing that hits us here is that right after saying he does not find fault, he starts finding fault. Well, he doesn't find fault with the imperfections of our request for wisdom. This doesn't mean that he won't find fault with those who are insincere with their prayers for wisdom. Those who pray hypocritically or unbelievingly. He's not talking here about the person who needs more faith. He's talking about a person with no faith. In James, the opposite of faith is doubt. So doubt... Is synonymous with unbelief prayer doesn't work when it's not true prayer Nor, not only doesn't it get the desired results but God won't listen to it in fact he rejects it he despises it God we talked about this generous big hearted attitude that God has well He doesn't have that attitude towards everyone. False prayer doesn't work with God. False Christianity doesn't work with God. False faith, as we'll find out in the next chapter, doesn't work with God. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Doubting here doesn't mean you have unanswered questions. All of us have doubts in that sense. The kind of person James is talking about questions whether God is actually good. Whether God is actually trustworthy. Whether he's actually loving. Whether he actually exists. So this is a warning to those who try prayer because they want something but they don't really trust in God. You see, some people like to play both sides. They try to get the benefits of Christianity as well as the benefits of unbelief. They're trying to get paid both by the devil and by the Lord. And they think God doesn't notice because they're not sure he's really there. Ultimately, their goals are entirely earthly. And they will use anything to get what they want. They're thinking of prayer as a form of magic where you get what you want, not as a way to address the personal, all knowing God. He says this person is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He is double minded, unstable in all his ways. This kind of person goes back and forth between God and other ways of getting what he wants. To him, God is not the Lord. He is someone you sometimes try to get things from. He clings to God's wisdom one day and the world's wisdom the next day. Whatever works. Like a person who is looking for love, and it doesn't matter much to them where they find it, they will do whatever they need to do with whomever they need to do it with to get love. That's what this kind of person is like trying various things, looking for something that works. I've, I've uh, you know, in Africa, um, they have a, a strange society. You know, in, in America we have, we have uh, believers in Christ that live alongside people who are completely secular. In Africa you have believers in Christ who live alongside animists, people who, you know, believe in spirits, in, in objects. And, and, and so, you know, when we were at the hospital, for instance, in, uh, in Africa, there's a, uh, instead of a chaplain at the hospital, there's a witch doctor. And he just hangs around in case you need him, in case you want to call him into the room to do his little stuff, you know. And it, there's even times where Christians, it's like they're so desperate to get healing. Well, it's like we prayed for him, yes, well, now let's bring in the witch doctor and see if that'll work. That's the kind of person that James is addressing here. We do it too sometimes with our, in our society, don't we? Because sometimes, you know, uh, Christians, they, uh, they ask for prayer and they know some of the people aren't believers. They say, oh, well, send me your happy thoughts as if that's going to heal you. This kind of person, James says, must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. I was reading this week in Zechariah chapter 13. One verse of which is quoted in the New Testament a couple times. Where it says, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. That was quoted at the cross. You remember. Well, this passage, interestingly, talks about the fact that when the, God the Father strikes the shepherd, and the shepherd, of course, is Jesus, when the Father strikes his shepherd, he also allows the, all the little sheep to scatter, to suffer. And we certainly see that in the New Testament. After Christ is crucified, his followers... Scatter and suffer a lot, and it goes on to say that as a result of this suffering that's brought upon the sheep that are scattering, two thirds of them are cut off and perish. So the suffering and the persecution, the results from the the uh, shepherd being. Um stricken results in two-thirds of them, those who profess faith, saying, I'm out of here. This is not for me. The other third, it says, and it doesn't say a third, it says one part and two parts. So it's not like it's trying to give us a precise calculation. But two-thirds of the ones Scatter, which is, sounds a lot like the uh, parable of the sower, right? They, they spring up, and then they suffer hardship, and they say, you know, they don't have any roots, so they, they die off. But the other third, it says, they get tested through fire to be refined. As Jesus said in John fifteen two, every branch that bears fruit... He prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. And then the passage goes on to say that these people, this one third who get tested in the fire, instead of saying, I'm out of here, like the two thirds, this third calls upon the Lord in the midst of the fire. From the midst of the fire, they cry out to the Lord. And it also goes on to say that God answers their cries. And you know what he says to them? You are my people. And in the end they respond by saying, And the Lord God is our God. It's really the same thing as what's being said here in James 1. Believers are put through the fire of testing And from the midst of the testing, they cry out to God. And he is most happy to answer and tell them what they need to hear. And is there any wisdom? We need more in the midst of our suffering than to know that we are his people. That we are his treasured ones. Because we're feeling rejected. We're feeling abandoned. It feels like this isn't doing any good for me at all. We need to remember this because this is what we forget. This is what we lose sight of. Yes, in the whole process, some will leave him. They will reject him. They will go their own way. But the rest will seek him, even in their pain, because they know there is nowhere else to go. No one else to turn to. No other place where help will come from. In spite of the pain of being pruned, they turn to their master pruner for help. You know, about six weeks ago, my wife, my dear wife, had uh, major surgery. A new, She had an artificial knee put in. And her old knee obviously removed. Which is a pretty, if you think about all that is involved in that, that's a pretty traumatic thing for a human body to go through. Well, her doctor told her that starting on the third day, she would hate him. That was the day the pain would set in. And... It's been six weeks and it's been quite an uncomfortable journey for her. But, you know, when she's really frustrated or confused or really in pain and I don't have answers for her, you know where she goes? She calls the same doctor that inflicted the pain. Now, sometimes she needs, you know maybe an adjustment, she needs a different medicine, whatever. But basically, what does the doctor give her? Wisdom, perspective. She needs to hear this is what, how it goes. It's okay, you're on the right path. This is temporary. You're on the road to recovery. You don't have to worry. You just have to put up with it for a little while longer. She needs perspective, and that's... We just need perspective, and the Lord is the one who gives that. And that's why when we suffer, the wise thing to do is to ask God for wisdom. Help me to see things rightly. Help me to understand from your perspective. In the midst of the situation, it looks crazy. Just like the cross did. What we're talking here about is the wisdom of the cross. That it's through infliction of pain, it's through suffering, it's through hardship that redemption comes. It's through death that life comes. This is the economy of God. And if we're followers of God, we've got to be ready to live in the context of his economy and the Lord hasn't asked us to endure anything in comparison to what he has endured for us let us pray it touches us Lord just to hear your heart in telling us how generous and how eager you are to impart wisdom to us when we recognize our need for it and ask for it. Dear Lord, we know that as our great physician, you don't intend for us to be harmed in any way by our afflictions. You rather have healing in mind for us when you send these difficulties into our lives. Teach us, O Lord, your wisdom. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to remember what's true when we go through hard things. Teach us to seek you and ask you to open our eyes for we are blind in ourselves. And show us, dear Lord, show us yourself. Show us that not only are you great and almighty and good, but that you care about us and that we are your precious people and that you would never do anything to harm us. Teach us, O Lord, the wisdom of the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.